Welcome to the Beltline Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you found us. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of these weekly podcasts. Most of all, we hope this podcast will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you want to know more about us, you can visit us at www.beltlinechurchofchrist.org. Here's today's lesson. So this morning, we're going to be in Luke 11, uh, starting in verse 14. And uh, what you're going to find, if you've already turned there, is uh, that Jesus is going to cast out a demon. And the fact is that this text sometimes seems perplexing to people because of really one specific verse. Uh, but the fact is, Jesus is teaching about power to change. He's, he's showing us even the power to change. And as he casts out this demon, he, he's, he's going to help us understand something. Thing better. Now, before we get into really the, the heart of the lesson, I want to point something out. The fact is, yes, Jesus believes, he, he taught that there were such things as personal, supernatural, evil beings. And, and I want to also say that this church believes what Jesus believes. And we follow King Jesus above all else. And so when you look at this, I know that it's possible for our modern minds sometimes to think, well, Jesus is just relating to these people in a way that they can understand, and he's not necessarily actually talking about demons, but he is, okay? He really is. And I think that Jesus would say to those of us who may think we've, we've moved beyond that idea that, that, that we're actually naive to think somehow that there isn't real evil, deep evil in this world. The fact is, there is. And so, it's easy sometimes for us and, and for others to, to say, well, I'm, I'm dealing with my demons, right? Demons maybe of our own making. We, we use that phrase somewhat flippantly uh, to, to describe something that we may be going through, uh, but we're not necessarily talking about actual demons. I do believe that there are clues as you go through scriptures that indicate that these evil spirits were bound by Jesus' victory over sin and death when he gave his life for a ransom for us on the cross. And so, even though this isn't our main point, I'd like to just look at a few scriptures quickly about demon possession. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 27, here we have Jesus casting out a demon. It says, amazement gripped the audience. They were amazed. They began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitingly. It, it has authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. Do you notice something here? These people are amazed by what Jesus is able to do, okay? And so even though there may have been others trying to cast out demons, maybe there were others who were saying they were casting out demons, Jesus actually did it, and it amazed the people who saw it. In, in Matthew 12, in verse 29, it says, Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. And this is just what Jesus is actually doing to Satan in this moment. In Revelation 12, in verse 10, it says, I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God, the authority of his Christ, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. And in Jude 1 and verse 6, it says, I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely, chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. And so the fact is, yes, there, there have been, and there, there really are 
personal, supernatural, evil beings, and yet we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus as we consider them and as we look at this text. I would say demon possession was clearly permitted, temporarily at least, by God for the ability to confirm Jesus' authority in this world. So let's read our text together. Luke 11, starting in verse 14. It says, One day, Jesus cast out a demon from a man who couldn't speak. And when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. But some of them said, No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Others, trying to test Jesus, demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. He knew their thoughts, and so he said, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. You say I'm empowered by Satan, but if Satan is divided and fighting against himself, how can his kingdom survive? And if I'm empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcist? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you're saying. But if I'm casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For when a strong man is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons, and carries off all of his belongings. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds no rest, it says, I'll return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds that its former home is all swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and they live there. And so that person is worse off in the end than before. Here's Jesus teaching. Now you see why I said it can be perplexing, right? It's a little bit, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit out of the ordinary uh, when it comes to Scripture. I, I want to just help you wrap your mind around that verse 24 specifically. You know, demons, uh, they were looking for the most desolate, devastated place. The most forsaken soul that they could possibly find. They're only comfortable in complete devastation. And so that's the soul who they were looking for to possess. And here Jesus is pointing this out to these crowds who were dealing with with demons. With demon possession. Something else I'd like to notice here is when uh, you see Jesus cast out a demon, you don't see him command the person with the demon to repent. Do you notice that? He doesn't tell them, go and sin no more, like he told other people who were living in sin. He doesn't say anything like that. No, all these demon-possessed people are treated as if they have a sickness that they couldn't help. They're treated the same as as those who he healed with other ailments, not someone who Jesus was confronting with sin. I think that's an important thing to notice. And so let's just look at the lessons I, I hope we can get from this passage. First, there are many ways to change. There are many ways to change. If we are seeking power to change in our life, if we want to uh, grow more healthy, or if we want to uh, get smarter or wiser, or we want to, to understand something better, if we want to somehow change our lives, uh, the fact is there's many ways to change. And just because you've been helped by something does not necessarily mean that that thing is true or even right. Remember in Proverbs 14 and 12, 
It tells us there's a path before each person that seems right, but the end of it is death. This is, there's some things that you might think this is good, but it doesn't actually work out in the end. It's not going to get you to where you need to be. If we give ourselves over to something, if it possesses us, even for a little while, it, it may help us change. But it's something that we need to take note of from Scripture. Because the fact is, God has made us to be physical beings, hasn't he? We, we are in a body, a physical body. And so some of the things that we struggle with, they could be helped by exercise, right? Or, or, or maybe a better diet. Maybe if we're eating healthier foods, we could solve some issues that we want changed about ourselves. And so we are physical beings in that sense that he created us with these physical bodies. We need adequate sleep, right? We need good health. And so somehow we can affect some change in our lives by meeting those needs. We're also social beings, are we not? We, we desire uh, personal relationships, connections with other people. And so maybe with some of the struggles that we have or some problems that we have, you know, sharing it with someone, sitting down with a, other, with a group of other people who also are struggling with that specific thing, it, it might be helpful to us. It might help us change that about ourselves. And that's a wonderful thing. We can be ministered to in that way. So that is a way to change by, by bringing ourselves and meeting those social needs. And we're also volitional beings, right? We make decisions. We have free will. We're free moral agents. We choose things, right? We make decisions and then our decisions make us. And so uh, this is up to us. It, it, there, there is an aspect of our life where we determine what's going to happen next. And we deal with the consequences, whether they're good, positive consequences, or, or at times when they're negative consequences. But the fact is, we are volitional beings. And so we make our choices in this life. Sure, there's, there's many ways to get help, to gain self-control, right? Over a problem or a bad situation. But none of them can accomplish what can be accomplished in Jesus Christ. None, let's say it again. I want to hear some amen. Nothing can be accomplished by any of those things that could be accomplished in Jesus Christ. Let's bring it to Jesus. Let's make sure that Jesus is at the heart of anything that we seek change in in our life. That we go after what he teaches and what he guides us into. Because the fact is we are also and most importantly spiritual beings. We're spiritual beings in Genesis 1, in verse 27, it says God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And John 4, 24 tells us something about God. God is spirit. And he created you, a spirit, a spirit that has flesh, that has social needs, that can make choices for itself. And yet, you are created in his image. You are a spiritual being. And too often we go through life thinking somehow we're physical beings having a spiritual experience. Well, we love our time at, at Maywood, right? We love that. And when we go there, we have a spiritual experience, we would think. We would say, wow, this is, this is the way I'd like for it to be all the time. But the truth is, we are spiritual beings. And in this flesh, we're having a physical experience. And we need to make sure we keep that straight in our minds so that we don't get tripped up by these other ways that may be helpful to us, but don't actually bring us to where we need to be in Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23, it says, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit, your soul, and your body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7 tells us that someday... 
Our bodies will return to the dust of the earth, but our spirit will return to God who gave it. So we're spiritual beings, and we need to remember that every day. We need to, to be in contact with that. We need to stay connected to the fact that we are image bearers of a spiritual God who created everything that we see, spiritual and physical. And we need to understand who we really are. Christianity, you see, it's not just another self-help philosophy. If you're seeking change in your life, if you're hoping that, that knowing more about Jesus is going to somehow affect that change in your life, I want you to know that's not what Christianity is for. It's not just to help you become a better version of yourself. Christianity actually is, is to transform us into an image of Jesus, to be more like him, to replace me with him, to replace you with Jesus. It does help. Christianity does help. It does heal. But the power behind our faith isn't just in the here and now. Power behind our faith is in eternity. It's in eternity because you will live on into eternity as a spiritual being. Secondly, if you use any way but Jesus, the fact is Jesus is teaching here that you'll be worse off than before. If you, if you allow some other way to possess you, some other means of change to, to come into your life, to master you, to, to lead you into the change that you're hoping for, if it's not Jesus, you're going to be worse off in the end than before. Many problems can be solved, at least in the short term, by meeting these needs, these physical needs, these social needs, these uh, volitional needs, uh, making better choices. All these things, they can absolutely affect change in our life, but none of them last. None of them are the answer. They're just superficial answers that could last for a while, but they're eventually going to fail. And let me just give you an illustration of, of how this works. And many of us have experienced this in our lives. You see a little boy. A little boy, and he's crying, right? And so often what is said to that little boy is, stop crying, right? <laughs> stop crying. Be a man, right? Toughen up. You can't, you can't cry like that in public. You can't act that way. Dry it up, son. And so rather than realizing what's going on, we will replace the crying with a fear of being less than masculine, right? We'll replace the emotions that that little boy might be feeling with a fear of being rejected because he's not manly enough. Because he's not able to, to embrace his weaknesses. Later in life, that's not going to play out very well, is it? How can you have a happy marriage without admitting your weakness? How can you, how can you work with other people when you can't empathize with them? When, when you say, well, toughen up. You know, get through this. You can, you can do this yourself. Come on. Isn't, that, isn't it true? Somehow, we become controlled by fear of acceptance or, or, or rejection rather than uh, recognizing our acceptance that we have in Christ. And it happens every day, doesn't it? That's just one of the ways that, that it happens. But all of us have dealt with it. And we need to make sure that we center our lives on what Jesus offers, unconditional love. You see, here's what happens. You give yourself over to something, and it gives you self-control, even for a limited time. And now that you've gained the self-control, you start to think, I'm fine. I don't need anything. And sometimes we go on a diet, don't we? And we say, you know what? I I'm going I'm to lose a few pounds. I want to get in better shape. 
And we go through a, a certain amount of time, maybe, you know, three days, maybe three months, I don't know. And, and we're trying to, to do better, right? We get up early in the morning, a few mornings, and we, we get our exercises in, and we're so determined, we really want to do. And maybe we have a goal in front of us, like, like a, a trip or, or something that we want to do, or maybe summertime, you know, whatever it is. And, and we say, I'm going to be in this kind of shape by this point in time. And sometimes we do it, and sometimes we're not. But really what determines it is if we're really possessed by that motivation, if we really allow it to come into us and drive us to what we want. And when we gain that self-control, and when we maybe even arrive at our goal, we say, hey, I did it. I arrived. I've achieved this. I've done this for myself. We forget, don't we? Who is it that gave us that mind to think? Who is it that created that body that we could live in while we're here? Who is it that, that gave us these abilities? Who is it? It's God. It really, all the glory should go back to him, not to me, not to you, not to us because of what we've achieved, but because of all that he's blessed us with. All those self-helps, they can keep us from depending on Jesus, can't they? Can't they keep us from, from looking to the, to the truth? The root lie at the bottom of all of our problems is the idea that somehow we're in charge and we don't really need God. That we can do it ourselves. And when we get some control without God, by chasing after whatever it is, by being possessed by whatever desire or motivation that we become obsessed with, it falsely confirms that lie. And that sets us up for an even bigger problem later in eternity, doesn't it? There in Luke 11 again in verse 23, it says, Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. Anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. And it returns, and it finds that its former house is all swept and in order. And the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they all enter that person and live there. And that person is worse off than before. That's the other end of that diet sometime, isn't it? When we, uh, we can't button that jacket a few weeks later. And starts, stuff starts going back the way that it was. And we're not able to keep that control somehow because the motivation that was motivating us is gone. And somehow we start to slip back into old habits. And we forget what had given us success. Now, if we're not possessed by Jesus, the fact is we're going to be possessed by something else. I want to encourage you to turn your life to Jesus. Remember what he said about those disorderly houses. Remember what he said about those people without self-control. He said that they are actually closer to the kingdom of God than those who have achieved self-control through some other means besides his Holy Spirit. That's what he's telling us. He makes it pretty clear in Matthew 21 and verse 31. He says, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes get into the kingdom of God before you do. Why? Because you've set up all these restraints on your heart. You've already trained yourself for self-control, and you feel pretty good. You think things are going really well. And so when someone approaches you and say, I want to introduce you to Jesus, or I want you to submit to Jesus, I want you to give your life to Jesus, you say, why? I've already got everything I need. Why do I need something else? I, I, I see my life going just fine. You might be sitting here this morning, or you might be watching online this morning and thinking, you know, I'm going to watch this with my, my wife or my husband. I'll watch this because they want me to, but I know I don't really need it. You do. You need Jesus 
You need Jesus because Jesus is the only one who's going to actually meet the deepest need of your heart. And that need being met will bring you closer. You will bring, bring you closer to your creator, to where you're supposed to be. I want to encourage you to be possessed by Jesus and not allow yourself to go down the, the road of, of all the other things that could come into your life to control you. In Galatians 5, he tells us that self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, and, and we need to turn to Jesus so that we can have all that he's promised to us and so much more. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, Jesus is teaching, of course, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth. This is where moths eat them and dust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And then notice what he says in verse 22. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. He says, don't take these things of this world. Don't take uh, the, the things that meet your physical needs or your social needs or, or maybe your, your, your needs when you make choices. He says, don't, don't use those to direct your life. Don't think that somehow this is going to end well when you don't turn your spiritual life over to Jesus. Give it to him. Give it to him so that he can guide you into righteousness, so that he can show you the most excellent way so you can be with your Savior for all eternity. Last this morning, the fact is Jesus is the only one who can bind the strong man. And the strong man, of course, is Satan. It's our enemy. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to call him the God, little g, the God of this world. Because his influence is in this world and it's all around us. And it's going to continue to try to pull us away from the influence of Christ. Oh, whether it be by, by sin and, and, and the, the things that, that uh, capture our lusts. Or even by somehow finding self-control and living an upright life. But doing it without Jesus. Without knowing him and loving him and being possessed by him. We use that word possess in such a negative term. But but I want to say it's a wonderful thing to be possessed by Jesus Christ, to be his, to, to be with him. He calls the church the bride of Christ. It's his. I want to encourage you to be a part of that church, to be his bride. Satan's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus is reversing the effects of destruction by healing there's no way one could tie Jesus' work to Satan. And yet, here are these, these people accusing him. That's exactly what they try to do. They try to tie his work to Satan. But the crowds who are seeing what's happening, uh, they're amazed. They know that this can't be from Satan. This has got to be from God. I think it's interesting that they demand another miracle on top of the miracle that he just performed to confirm the miracle that he just performed. And here he is, God in the flesh, standing before them, giving them exactly what they need to know, that they might stand pure and undefiled before him, holy, made holy by him. You know, verse 20 is one of the most crucial statements Jesus ever makes. He, he makes it perfectly clear who he is. In verse 18, he says, you say I'm empowered by Satan, but if Satan is dividing and fighting against himself, how can his kingdom survive, right? 
If I'm empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcist? If they cast out demons, uh, they're going to have to condemn you for what you've said. But, verse 20, if I'm casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived. It has arrived among you. He says, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one sent to deliver you. I'm the one who can meet your needs. I'm the one who can transform you. Rather than continuing in the ways of the world, you can be transformed. You can follow after him instead. You see, Christianity isn't true because it works. It works because it's true. It works because it's true. And it's also true that a person can get themselves in some kind of order without Christianity. If Christianity was just another self-help exercise, it'd just be indistinguishable from all the other things that you might find to control yourself. But that's not the purpose of Christianity, is it? The purpose of Christianity is the salvation of your soul. The salvation of your soul. Do you remember in Luke chapter 10, uh, Steve was just talking about this. In verse 20, it says, uh, when those people return to Jesus after having been sent out, right? They come back and they're rejoicing. They say, even the demons obey us. They have to do what we say. This is another anomaly. Here it is, uh, these followers of Christ proving again that it's not every day that these demons were able to be cast out, but they're able to do it and they're celebrating over it. But notice what Jesus says in verse 20 of Luke 10. Don't rejoice because the evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Now, you may never have an evil spirit obey you. You may never go through life like these people actually experienced and cast out a demon. But you know what? Your name can be written in heaven. Your name can be written in heaven. You can get the most important thing right by meeting your spiritual need. You're going to meet your other needs. You're going to be drawn closer to the creator, to the one who loves you and the one who has given everything for you. I think Jesus is teaching us that the only way to get power to change is if you give yourself to something. You don't get power to change in the abstract. You get power to change because you get a motivation. Something dominates you. You give yourself to something. Something possesses you. And that gives you power to change. Jesus is saying that unless that power is me, you will be worse off in the end than before. You'll be worse off in the end than before. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and Verse 16, it says, whenever someone turns to the Lord, here's the change that's happening, right? They're changing. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the blinders is taken off, right? Verse 17, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit is of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect. That's important. Can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Reflect the glory of the one who possesses you. Reflect the glory of the one who possesses you. And the fact is, you're already doing it, aren't you? The fact is, you already are. Whatever it is that's got you, whatever it is that, that is your main motivation, if you've put something on the pedestal, if you've replaced Christ with something on that throne of your heart, it's pretty clear because it's what you talk about. It's what you think about. It's where all your money goes. But if it's Jesus, it's what you talk about, what you think about. That's where your money goes. I want to encourage you. Check your heart. and Make sure uh, you examine yourself 
make sure that you're in the faith because spiritual transformation, it doesn't come like moral reformation by restraining the heart, by somehow uh, conforming your life to some rules. No, spiritual transformation, it only comes from looking at Christ, from, from understanding who he is, being melted from the inside at what he's done for you. And when that happens, when you come to him, when you see him for who he truly is, then you're going to sing, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Then you're going to sing it, and you're not going to stop in the building. You're going to be singing it when you walk out the door. We're trusting in the name of the Lord our God. We're going to put our trust in him, not in money, not in in our abilities, not in all the self-helps that we may have, not in our own self-control. We're going to put our hope, we're going to put our trust, we're going to give all of our love to Jesus Christ, the Lord, our God. Thanks again for listening. If you are in North Alabama, we would love to have you visit and worship with us. Also, if this lesson blessed you today, don't forget to hit the share button and share this message with someone else. Hope you will join us again next week. As we close, here is our prayer for you. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week.